Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Andrew Allegretta. Andrew appears on the guest line, which is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our conversation with Andrew. Andrew Allegretta joins us. Fresh off Vanderbilt's win on Tuesday night, Commodores hang on and beat Missouri. That's two in a row, Andrew, uh, for the Commodores. Hope you're doing well, but it seems like things are looking up a little bit around your neck of the woods these days. Well, for all of us, I would say so, huh? Uh, back-to-back wins, like you mentioned, some tough games coming up for sure with Tennessee, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Alabama on the slate coming up. Um, so we'll we'll see how this thing ebbs and flows, but um, but you know just jumping right in, um, they have played much better the past couple of games. I was thrilled to see the LSU performance, like everybody, especially for that day with Shane Foster, uh, and then to back it up with a nice performance against Missouri. So you know this is what you got to do. You got to pluck the games one at a time, and they've done that nicely back to back. I've got a writer who goes to the games, uh, Sam Phelan, so I'm watching from home last night. Um, what was the crowd like? It looks like the student section has been more engaged lately. What, what's your vibe with the gym these days? Well, so like you, I watched last night from home and listened from home to Kevin a little bit. Um, I was in the building for Shane Foster. I guess that was last Saturday. Uh, the student section was fantastic. Um, there was a lot of energy in the place. I don't have the context as always for it, but, um, everything that I heard from the LSU game was that was the best atmosphere that Bandy has seen inside Memorial, uh, in several years. Um, so if you're just looking for data points and trend lines, uh, the past couple of games, the gym has been energized. The student section has been good. It certainly helps when you give out a bunch of free stuff, which they've done the past couple of games, whether it's, I guess they gave out T-shirts uh, for Shane Foster. And then I think they gave out some food against Mizzou for the late tip-off. Um, but, you know, the, the students have responded, so that's been great. Just a balanced effort last night from the Commodores. You've got five guys in double figures. You had two guys, Jordan Wright, and Quentin Malore Brown pull double doubles. You've got Leon Robbins playing eleven minutes, swatting four shots. I mean, Shane Dizoni has even started to do some things a little bit. Although I guess you know foul trouble last night didn't help. But it feels like, and I've said this for a while, okay, that when you've got a couple of key guys out, other guys have to step up and do things that maybe doesn't fit their role. Seems to me that it's going to be probably just yeah. get rid of the word maybe. You can just say well, yeah, fit their role. No, no, good, good, good call there. Um, but w- when the pieces slide more into to where they need to fit, and guys doing, you know, where doing things that, that align with their strengths is a good way to say it. It just everything changes, and and that's kind of what it started to look like for them. 
well, we're going to get off topic, but that's the value of depth. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the difference of programs that, um, you know, really thrive through adversity within a season, not just from season to season, and ones that go through the hiccups. And that's not to say that this roster doesn't have talent and depth, but we all understand the difference between the depth of a top five program and the depth of at the moment where Vanderbilt's roster is uh, not to say again, that anybody is lacking skill and et cetera. But like you said, um, a few guys had to shift into roles that probably weren't best suited for them. And then I know we've talked about it too. And you know, since it's still out there, I will grab the low hanging fruit. The difference of Chapman is just, I don't know. I wish I had more articulate words for it and I'm supposed to because of my um, job description. However, the way that Chapman settles games down for Vandy over the past couple uh, since he's been a consistent force is just so noticeable. Does Vandy still go through ebbs and flows? It sure does. And I don't, I don't know what the stretch was uh, last night against Mizzou. There was maybe a 10-0, 12-0 Mizzou run, something like that. And obviously LSU went on a you know, 16-18-0 run, whatever it was, to close the gap there. Um, and, and you can't do that against an Auburn coming up um, in a couple of games. However, the steadying factor that is Rodney Chapman has been most noticeable to me. Yeah, you went where I was going next. I think when I watched him interviewed the other night, it made sense to me. He just seems like such a mature, calm kid. I'm trying to look this up as we speak, but he's played – you know, a hundred and some odd college basketball games by this point of his career. And those are just things that you don't come by often. You can't really replace them. And not to not to say that as a way to diminish from his skill set, because I'm not doing that. He's obviously a kid who knocked down a bunch of threes the other night. Um, he's been good enough with the ball to to play point guard on some pretty good teams. Uh, but to me, that's the thing that sort of puts him over the top. And when you're looking at saying, I don't understand sometimes the numbers that he puts up don't explain the way the team gets better. When I watch him talk and see his demeanor, t- to me, that's where it connects a little bit, perhaps. Uh, the guys are human, right? Um, I, I think sometimes we talk about sports and players uh, and these very analytical terms with stats and minutes and et cetera. But uh, there's obviously a human element to this. And if you can get a calming force that comes from a veteran like Chapman, it's huge. Uh, and look, um, if you have extreme elite skill, you can overcome a lack of experience sometimes. Or if you have extreme experience, it can put you in situations to elevate you perhaps beyond your skill set. You kind of at least need one or the other. Now, if you have both like a Kamar rocker for Vandy last year, that's a whole different deal. Uh, But, but the point being is you talk about Chapman's numbers and, you know, he's not going to be a top 10 lottery NBA draft pick or whatever it is. Right. But his experience is so significant that it can put him in situations that, go beyond maybe the traditional elite skill. Like, yeah, you can take Duke to the elite eight with Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. That's fine. But you can also take teams to the elite eight with extreme experience 
and just savvy and understanding. So what he does to just provide the correct heartbeat for the team, um, I it just it feels so noticeable. Like you need everybody else. You still need Pippen and Wright and Melora Brown and et cetera and et cetera. But um just just the the calming factor that comes from his experience, his his knowledge, his his minutes played, like it's hard to duplicate that. Well, the other guy, uh, of course, is back. And, and thank God, you don't have to have the standard question on the podcast, which is when is he coming back? Because that was getting old. Liam Robbins plays 11 minutes last night, swats four shots, doesn't do a lot else. But shot blockers have a value to me that's beyond. And, and if, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Auburn last night, but Walker Kessler would be the quintessential example here where like even when he wasn't blocking shots last night you could see guys who were kind of coming towards the paint with the ball and they would sort of step back when when Kessler entered the picture you get a guy like that in there and and I know the conditioning needs some work right but it seemed like he looked better on the floor the other night than he did a week ago against Kentucky and uh, that's a kid whose presence was made known pretty loudly in the limited time he played last night. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. I always try to make cross sports analogies, whether that's valid or not. I don't know. Um, at the moment, Liam Robin uh, seems to me like he's the fourth or fifth pitch uh, that a really good pitcher has, just based on his minutes. Right. Um, all of these guys know that they throw their fastball fifty percent of their time, and their slider twenty five percent of their time, and their changeup twelve percent of their time. And then their cutter, they throw the other 12% of the time. Well, if the hitter knows that you've got a cutter, regardless of you throwing it 5% of the time, 10% of the time, or Robbins, for instance, his 10, 11, 12 minutes, just knowing that that presence is there impacts everything. And for the guys that just have to deal with a slight deviation from what they're used to when Robbins comes into the game, it's... It's a hiccup. It's the same thing as we're going to play man-to-man 75% of the time, but every now and then we're going to throw you a zone. And now all of a sudden, when you get back into your man-to-man, you're not as comfortable because you had that hitch in your step from going up against zone. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't need right now uh, to be 
the 40 minutes a guy, uh, 40 minutes a game guy. He, he can just be a change of pace player that throws the rhythm off the offense and does just enough to change the way that people attack the rim. And, and he seems to be doing that. Yeah, I think that's called the show me pitch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just, just show me, show me your cutter, show me your slider, whatever it is, just to just to make sure it lives in the brain of a hitter. Uh, and, and if you throw it five percent of the time, great. But the hitter is going to be aware of it a hundred percent of the time. Well, it, it's funny. I did a radio show before the game and was asked about his presence and could he really help them. And I said, I I just don't. I don't know that it's going to help them a lot. I mean, like. Not not that he won't help them if he's out there, but my concern was I saw how he ran the floor against Kentucky. He looked gassed at times. Um, you know, you have to sit out the next game after an injury. I'm just going into last night thinking, man, I don't know that it's going to work out for him. I mean, you, you just didn't know for sure whether he'd play last night. You'd heard that he would, but when an injury or whatever keeps popping up, you know, you always kind of hold your breath, but, but to just to see the way that he moved a lot better last night to me, that that's, that's a difference maker. And, and I, I look at that. My point of saying this is like, if anybody heard me saying that on the radio yesterday, I, I think seeing him last night and the way that he performed uh, was enough for me to walk that back and say, Hey, wait a minute. He, this is a kid who could have a little more value for them going forward than I thought he might. Well, if he's a if he's a defensive factor and he comes in for ten minutes, then he seems to be doing his job. Um, if you can stretch him to fifteen or twenty throughout the course of February into March, then great. And if he becomes more of an offensive factor, great. As long as he's not an offensive liability, and it's hard to imagine with the way that Vandy plays offense that he's going to become an offensive liability. You know, especially with the two man game that Vandy plays with. You know, whoever's on the floor, Pippen and Wright, et cetera. It's not like he's this gigantic uh, missing cog in a certain style of offense. So as long as he's not dragging down your offense and you can get 10 to 15 really good minutes of defense to provide the opposing offense, the quote unquote show me pitch, then then great. I mean, I, I 10 minutes, four blocks. OK, works for me. What did you make of Jordan Wright last night? Let's see. 35 minutes. Comes up with 11 rebounds, 11 points, one for two from three, four for four from the uh, free throw line. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the whole picture, right, Chris? So Pippen, 19 points, Wright, 11, Studi, 11, Chapman, 10. I feel like we had this conversation at some point in time. Uh, and I know everybody has about the third score, fourth score. And I think I brought up Studi at some point and said, I wish I could count on nine to 12 from Studi every single night. What, what that also means is, is you know that consistently you're going to get 10 to 20, I suppose, from Jordan. And if you get Studi's nine to 12, basically I'm, I'm taking your question and I'm spinning it back to all of our previous conversations about uh, the third and fourth score and what that looks like. And I, I feel yeah. like I'm looking at a at a box score about what you would envision with this team under best case scenarios. Like sometimes that that, that is a that is a great three, way to put right? it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so it's yeah, like well, Pippen will pop and get thirty, and then Studi drops off and has a bad game or whatever. But but in but in general, 
if you're kind of penciling things in to have a really balanced offense and you're not dependent on one person, the problem always is if Scotty has an off night and nobody else scores, then they don't win. Well, you know, Pippen goes 34 minutes, six for 13, 19 points, and then Wright and Studi and Chapman. Like I, I'm, I'm spinning it back to the to the previous conversations and looking at a box score where this is kind of maybe how you would hope to have it on a regular basis if you could. No, I, I love the way you put it. it. It's so perfect. And really, in that scenario, the only thing you change is instead of Robbins getting 11 minutes, that's more like 22, 23, 24. Uh, and, and then you kind of know exactly what you have, right? Yeah, you probably flip Quentin Melora Brown for Liam Robbins. And Melora Browns becomes the the heart and hustle player off the bench. And he's grabbing, you know, a solid 15, 20 minutes worth of really hard defense and good rebounding. Uh, but I, I guess, I guess, like in, in theory, but... Well, but you know, know, you know what? There, here's here's the thing with that, Andrew. The blessing in what happened to Leon Robbins is if that doesn't happen, I don't think Quentin Malore Brown develops into what he's become either. Correct. Because he, because Correct. the time's not there. No, and but no one's gonna no one's gonna have an issue with 29 minutes and a double double from right from Malore Brown. So that that's why you bring up Robbins and you go. Okay, if you get that from Melora Brown or you get that from Robbins, great. Great. Who's who's giving me the best defense at that point, I guess? Yeah. Um the other interesting thing was Taryn Frank playing and and Jermaine Mann not last night. That that'll be the other little tweak here to see where that goes at that, you know, six, seven, eighth man. Cause I guess man is um, I don't know if he's been their six man in, in exact terms, but I guess he's he's been close to it at least. To see him kind of disappear last night from the playing time equation and, and Frank getting a shot was was interesting, and maybe that's one of those things that the message got sent last night. Uh, and you get him back, and he's better going forward because he's a kid who's limited because of his size, but certainly can help him out too. And and, and frankly, you can can maybe say the same thing with Frank if he gets it right too. Yeah, I at, at the risk of copping out from your question, Chris, um, <laughs> whether whether it's Taryn Frank or Jermaine Mann or, you know, whether it's Shane Dezoni or Tyron Lawrence or whatever, I'm not being disrespectful to that part of the roster, but I guess thinking like a coach, you've got 200 minutes to fill. You need you need 30 to 35 good minutes from Pippen from Wrights, from Chapman. You need probably 20 to 30 pretty good minutes from Studi, Melora Brown, maybe a Trey Thomas. And then you need to figure out the final, you know, five to 10 per from the rest of the group, whoever that happens to be. Um, and as long as you're getting solid performances within those time frames, I don't know exactly how concerned I am that it's one versus the other. Um, Obviously, they have different skill sets. I'm not saying they're all just totally interchangeable pieces. We understand that's not the case based on the fact that Robbins and Chapman go out and everybody has to uh, perform outside of their scope. So I understand they're not interchangeable. But just thinking like a coach, if you've got your pieces available to you at the top of the roster, then you're just asking for Maine, uh, Jermaine Mann, Frank, etc., 
to be really strong for you when you need them to come in because somebody's in foul trouble or whatever it is. Any final thoughts on hoops before we shift gears here a bit? Um, not necessarily. Um, you know, a quick a quick note on women's basketball. I suppose uh, head coach Shay Ralph continues to do a good job with that program. Uh, at the moment, they're twelve and twelve. Um, they've got a realistic shot at getting five SEC wins, which I'm not going to sneeze at because this program hasn't done that uh, since. 2015 to 2016. Um, so for Shea Ralph to come in with, again, with every inch of respect to this roster um, and help them achieve these results right away, I would just give a quick plug to say, if you're, if you're paying attention to the men's basketball program, uh, give a look to the women's basketball program too, because she's done a nice job. And, and what's funny is, and I, and I say this again, out of, out of love, I think there's probably a level of frustration for, for Shea Ralph. I was, kind of thinking they're 12 and 12. Um, how many years collectively do you have to string together <laughs> yeah. to get 12 losses? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think part of her, I think part of her respects and understands that the job that she and her staff have been able to do with this group this season. And another part of her goes, this is stupid. I don't want to celebrate a 12 and 12 record. And I kind of, I really like that about her. Uh, but, but because, I'm not in her seats. I can say things like she's done a great job so far this season, and she certainly has. Well, uh, I'll I'll let you off without comment on this. I'll just make my own. Um, after after a past staff where you know record didn't seem to matter, I think that's a welcome change for anybody. But let's move on to to baseball. If you're if you're so inclined, sure. are you? In, are we in baseball mode yet? Because we are. Oh, oh good grief! Much. Nine days out—that—that's crazy. It always does, it slips up on you this time of year because basketball has everybody's attention, uh, you know. And, and of course, there's a Super Bowl and everything. But here we are, and it's it's right on the horizon. Uh, very much in baseball mode. Uh, was out at training yesterday. I uh, went to the scrimmage on Sunday. Um, currently sitting in the Hawkins Field press box as I often am. Uh, when we record these conversations. So I'm very much in baseball mode. I'm very much excited to see how this team comes together. Um, I don't know that the storylines necessarily have changed um, throughout the course of, you know, January and February training. I think we know what they are, um, but it's been fun to be out at training. Um, There's so much talent on this field. Does it need to be refined? I think it's pretty obvious that it needs to be refined, uh, but there's just so much talent on this field, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I think the big thing for for me and everybody is are there two ace starting pitchers or at least aces in terms of talent ready to take that next step and, and be the guys to where the – disconnect's a harsh word. Um, I guess the gap between potential and performance so far – um, connect and to me, that that's just about everything with this team. Because if if they answer that question, and these guys are pitching like first rounders at the end of the year, um, you know, a pretty good feeling that 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 season ends somewhere in Omaha. Um, you know, it's so funny for me, Chris, because it's been a decade worth of college baseball for me. Eight years at Virginia Tech. 
and two years at Tulane, nine and a half, if you throw in the COVID season. Um, and to work on a premise in the month of February that um, Omaha expectation uh, is a hard word. Uh, it certainly sets everything up in a very specific trajectory, but belief for sure um, is so interesting for me. Um, and I respect the heck out of it. And I know the standards of this program and I love the standards of this program. Um, I, I, I'm also very cognizant of exactly how hard Omaha is. Like it's really hard to get to Omaha. Uh, and any couple of bounces or calls, et cetera, don't go your way and you don't get there. Um, having said that, uh, there is certainly Omaha talent on this field, no doubt. And to your point, it's, it's the growth process from potential to performance for this team that will you know, figure out if this is a regional team, a super regional team, or a college world series team. I'm talking in just wicked uh, generalities at this point in time. Um, but the potential for Pat Riley is there. And by the way, fun fact, he likes uh, to go by Pat. Um, Interesting. As we, as we, as we prep for our coverage, he's Pat Riley. Um, uh, his his potential is is there. I know. I, everyone's there, there, there's there's so many jokes that that could be had from here. But anyway, yeah, it's something about you know he throws heat and the other guy was the heat's coach or whatever. I don't know. You or just, maybe, maybe it's showtime when he hits the hits yeah, the field. Right. I don't know. Well, there it is. There it is. Uh, y'all yeah. are better with the puns than I am. <laughs> um, Kevin Kevin is actually like I think he's Lord of the puns. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the, you know the, where, where uh, you need to get Kevin started is the um, the, the Night Ranger puns with um, with Christian Little. Uh, that might be a little before your time, but uh, he and I have had a couple of chuckles over that one. Yeah, it, it for it for sure is, but I, I trust that it's chuckle worthy. Uh, but the the potential is there, I, and and it's so hard to evaluate the pitching staff without them getting out there. I think what will be very interesting. You know, the one person that that you kind of know his talent, it's more like how does the transition go is Nick Maldonado. Yeah. And if he is if he is a rock steady force in the weekend rotation, um, that feels like that alters a lot. And and I'll be honest, I don't know what happens with Carter Holton. Um his performance you, you've got to see him culture. midweek. Uh, my, my guess, knowing them is, and without having any info, you see him sure. first midweek start. But sure, that's yeah, yeah, and and but I'm, I'm just the way the staff has lightly talked about him and his performance at the Black and Gold uh, series back in October. I, man, if I, I don't know, I don't know, and if he never ends up in the weekend rotation, I get it. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if he does, which then forces a Pat Riley or a Christian Little to something else. And now, and now all of a sudden you've got your depth, right? You've got your midweek depth. You've got your bullpen depth, whatever it happens to be. The, the starters, I think, will end up being fine. It, it's almost what happens to the back end of the bullpen. You were so consistent with Maldonado, uh, Murphy, and McElfain last year with those three guys. Well, Murphy's not here. Maldonado might start. McElvain feels like the the true 
uh, go-to guy in that bullpen? Who else is going to step up? Are there freshmen? Are there other guys? Is a Hunter Owen? Is a Thomas Schultz? Is a whatever? Um, I, there's just as many questions in the bullpen as there is with the starting rotation. I think I, I kind of feel like you know your 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 potential chess pieces from a starter's perspective, um, but the bullpen is a very intriguing uh, little little Tetris puzzle to put together. Yeah, my. My thing to watch if that's the direction they go is do they have a shutdown guy at the end? Because to me, McIlvain is is kind of a a really good utility part, right? Um, he's not going to come in and just blow you away with a particular pitch that that's kind of an out pitch. But what he does is he's a kid who can come out and give you you know a couple of good innings in, in seventh and ninth, or he can come in when it's you know two outs in the second and bases loaded and, and bridge the gap to the late innings. He's done a lot of things. To me, I like the idea of keeping him in that spot. And I kind of like the idea of keeping Maldonado in the closers role because he's done it. You just don't ever know, you know, who can handle that mentality till they do it. But if that's how it plays out, it's, it's interesting, right? Yeah. And I, I, I get, and I, this is all just speculation. I, at some point in time, I, I, I'll hopefully get with Coach Brown and kind of get the one-on-one on the pitchers before the start of the season next week. Um, there's such a value in being incredibly rock steady on the Friday and Saturday spots of yeah. rotation. And this program has been so blessed with rocker and lighter the past two seasons. And I recognize many seasons before with Walker Bueller and so on and so forth. Um, Pat Riley, if I guess, I guess all I'm saying is whether it's Pat Riley, Christian Little and Carter Holton, the gap from potential to performance is a lot larger than it is for Nick Maldonado. Right. Cause he's and been if, there and done and it. If, yeah. Yeah. And if they value that level of consistency, and that sort of confidence of, you know, you're going to get six to eight really strong innings from somebody every Friday night. Maybe it's Maldonado. I'm not saying Maldonado is the Friday guy, but if you're, if you're asking me if Maldonado is a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher, boy, just as you look at your puzzle pieces and if you value the consistency of a weekend starter – if we're working on the premise of potential to performance, Maldonado's got the smallest gap, and that might be intriguing. That's 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 speculation, totally speculation. I don't. Well, it's it, just speculation. Period. That, but, that's one of those he, things that depends on: do you have a workable third pitch or not? Well, Mal, Maldonado told me he's got five pitches right now. Oh well, there we go. <laughs> I've not I've not been able to speak with Nick this spring, so um, you have more there than I do. Uh, I'll try to, I, and don't, don't quote me on five. It might be four, but, um, he certainly added to his repertoire over the past 12 months. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a difference maker for sure. Um, yeah, man, that, that first series, and I won't talk to you between now and then, um, boy, that's, that's coming in hot. I was listening the other day, uh, to a radio show where they were given college baseball odds to win it all. And I think Oklahoma state had the second best odds of any team in the country behind Texas. Uh, 
Really interesting. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little to... <laughs> surprised, but sometimes that's where when you dig in, may I, I don't know what the odds makers know there, but I think that's a a really experienced team, um, and a lot of times that's what that's what separates you in the end. Uh, so I've got Maldonado, and I'm 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 fairly confident. Uh, we we published this on our podcast. Uh, if not, there's a Maldonado conversation and. He and I discussed this. I don't really think I'm breaking any ground here. Maldonado says he's got a four-seam fastball, slider, changeup, and a cutter. Okay. So if he's got if he's got four pitches, now he needs to throw all of them at a level that makes him a weekend starter, right? Um, he's got a lot of confidence in his cutter and so on and so forth and whatever, but he's he's gonna gonna try to work off of a four-pitch mix. So, um, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't. It's a it's a heck of a matchup to start at Hawkins, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. just a heck of a matchup with with obviously the ties with Coach Holiday. Um, we're going to see, and I just know the name because of the Tulane experience. We're going to see a, an All American and Justin Campbell at some point for Oklahoma State, um, a kid that was committed to Tulane, but uh, Tulane did some academic stuff, and and the Campbell said uh, nope, and then they went to Oklahoma State. Um, and he's a first-team All-American. I think he's a two-way player, can play first base. He's a pitcher. Um, they got they got pieces. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's some polls have Oklahoma State at 17, 18. Some have Oklahoma State at seven or eight. Uh, whatever. We discussed the the sport needs a composite ranking, but they're awfully good. Robin Ventura is on staff, which is fun uh, out there out there in uh, Stillwater. So it's it's a really good team. It's a really good team coming to Hawkins next Friday. Yeah, and it's interesting that they just jump in with both feet like that, especially with both coaches knowing each other. You, you think that they might would have each maybe like to have a little bit of more of a warm up series going in. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's what they wanted and just couldn't do it because of commitments. But it's interesting, and although it's not unusual, I mean, Vanderbilt's usually jumping in with both feet out west or somewhere against some tougher teams. Uh, you they, know, some teams don't do see anybody with told. Oklahoma State last year. Didn't they? They, play they, they, State? they was did. The second weekend. Um, goodness, I want to say it was the fourth, but I might be wrong. It was not opening weekend. Okay. Um, okay. All right. But in either case, yeah. I mean, they, it's not. You know, some teams don't play anybody till till conference play. That's that's never been their style. But um, I can't remember. Oh, it wasn't until oh, March that they played Oklahoma State. Yeah. 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 I want to say it was the week. Yeah, the weekend before the conference opener, but. Yeah, I, I think this I will be their toughest series I mean, till May, honestly. It, it, I mean, it certainly could be. And if it is, then, you know, well, till May, goodness. Uh, you're, you're talking about SEC. Yeah, I mean, it could be, right? Because I know South Carolina's in March. Um, till, till May, are you talking about the Arkansas series? Well, the LSU series? I think. They got Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, A and M, Georgia, Arkansas, and then LSU. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to make a real strong case that the hardest hardest teams they'll face are the last two with Arkansas and LSU. By the way, I think LSU is going to be really good this year. Yeah. I think they're going to be really good. <laughs> like that is going to be that weekend if it breaks right for uh, Vanderbilt, and you've got LSU for a three game set to wrap up the regu- regular season. That could be colossal. Uh, yeah, but but 
I mean, Tennessee's a really good team and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't count out what South Carolina can do and I don't count out what Florida can do. And Kentucky's got one of the best, I think, shortstops in the country. Yeah. Um, Ryan Ritter. So, yeah. Um, so there's, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But, um, it's, it's a heck of a matchup to start. And maybe you want to catch Oklahoma state now versus in May. I have done a lot of research on the league and in my opinion, their toughest three series in the conference are last. Uh, Georgia, Arkansas, LSU. I think Georgia is going to finish runner-up in the, the East this year. Um, once you look at the schedules and, and who they play and where they play, I think that's the team that a lot of people are sleeping on. So um, it, it'll be interesting. I think you're, they're going to need a cushion if my if my hunch is right. Uh, <laughs> there can't be a lot of early stumbles uh, in the league due to what's coming at the end. Um, I'm going to jot this down. I, I I was working off of the D1 baseball top, you know, 100, top 50 players for the 22 draft, the 23 draft, the top 50 incoming freshmen. Georgia is Georgia's lacking in terms of top-rated players in that category. They've got Corey Collins, who's a catcher, who's very well-regarded. Excuse me. Um, so that's a that's a bold pick. I'll take your word for it, but well, we'll, we'll pay attention to that. I'll tell you what Georgia's got. They always lock it down defensively. Um, they've always got arms. I talked to someone down there who thinks their pitching staff is going to be deeper than it's been in a long time. Um, they got the, the Jonathan Cannon kid back, who was a top half of the first rounder by most people When's going the into last, last year. Georgia's been... When's the last time George has been great at baseball? Well, um, you know, they had the team, I can't remember if it was 18 or 19, that was a national seed, and they stubbed their toe in Athens. I don't remember if it was the regional or the super. They've kind of been there where they've been really good some years. I mean, they've, they've taken Vandy down the last two times they oh, I played. Um, mm. I, I think that one thing I look at is, you look at a lineup when most of it's coming back, when you know they're going to field. I don't think that their bats are in the top half of the league, but they picked up a Juco third starter who's supposed to be really good. If Cannon's back and healthy, he's good. I think they've got some kids like Jaden Woods in their bullpen that are they're really talented arms. I don't know. To me, having seen a lot of baseball, that is the recipe for – and you saw it with Tennessee last year, right? Um, I think a lot of people were sleeping on Tennessee – and and the Vols lost a couple of big bats to the draft, but if you looked around, um, they they had a lot of returning parts, and, and that's how it played out. To me, um, I don't know if the upside for Georgia is is quite what it was for Tennessee a year ago, but I, I look at how it fits together, and, and that's why I think what I think. So, all right, all right, noted, duly yeah. noted. Well, and, and when it doesn't happen, you can you can give me grief at the end of the year. So, I I I will. I will. Um, in any all, case, all, all I believe, all I believe is that LSU is going to be great this year. That's about that's about all I got. I, look, their their lineup. They've got what four potential first team All SEC hitters in, in a year. That well, the the league's hitting, not just the superstar power at the top, but the depth. I put together a three team All SEC team, and there could players left off that. Um, it it is absurd. How many great hitters are in this league this year? It is it is as short on 
known commodities in pitching as I remember in a while. But the bats, I've never seen anything like this in the league. And LSU, LSU and Ole Miss are the two teams in my mind. And Vanderbilt does not get Ole Miss this year. Uh, that, that in terms, a lot of people say Arkansas. I don't see it with them as much as I do the other two teams. Uh, but but it is it is unbelievable the hitting talent that's coming back. Um, LSU could have the the first college bat off the board in each of the next two drafts yep. on its team right now, right? With Jacob Berry, the transfer that we saw from Arizona, who was just a mauler for the Wildcats last year, and then Dylan Cruz. Uh, you know, maybe Enrique Bradfield has something to say about that a season from now. Uh, but if you've got if you've got Cruz and Jacob Berry in your lineup, you're talking about potentially the first college bat off the board at each of the next two yeah. drafts. Yeah, that's, that's the expectation right now. Absolutely, it is. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Bradfield there. It's fascinating to me to see where he ranks right now. And, and this is not saying anything bad about him. I, I think he's a phenomenal player. But you look at the era we're in, right? Defense is maybe yeah, valued a little... Angle. Exit velocity, all of that yes. sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, okay, let, let's hit both sides, right? Defensively, I think defense gets devalued a little bit, and he's a great defender. That's where a lot of his value is. But when when the ball is not being put in play as much, then then your defenders don't get as many opportunities. And with the launching, what he got one home run last year, I think. It it is you you don't ever see guys like that. That high up the draft board, I don't know if the implication from that is there's a lot of future power in that bat that scouts are seeing that hasn't played out yet at at Vandy. But that's one of those that like you see where he's ranked, and I think he's literally that great a player in college in terms of what he is. But pro ball in that evaluation is different. And to see a kid where his carrying tools are what they are get that high on draft boards right now when the game and what gets valued there is so different than what he's got to me is just, it, it's fascinating. I, I would agree. It's interesting. Uh, he's such a game changer with his offensive tools. And while they're, I suppose, different generically than this quote unquote era that we're in, um, maybe that's what it is. Um, I spoke with him. I asked him the question, uh, what do you consider uh, to be the most undervalued aspect of your game? And he said the way he controls the barrel of the bat. Um, it's not just, oh, he slaps the baseball and he gets on base because he's really fast. Uh, it's his ability to control the bat in the zone, control the barrel in the zone. And again, this is just flat out spitballing. But if you're in a defensive era of a bunch of shifts, maybe you feel like you've got somebody in Bradfield that can beat a shift that can, can handle defenses in a way that other players can't. And he's got that sort of speed. He impacts a baseball game in a way that almost nobody else does. And perhaps that's what it is. But to your point, yes, in an era of exit velocity, launch angle, um, less reliance on the significance of, a defender's range, I guess, I, I guess, I guess. But 
his his typical tools don't fit into this the, the generic conversation at the moment. And and to your point, it's it's certainly very interesting. I, I've kind of regurgitated what you just said, but I, I would agree that it's interesting how um, he fits in a baseball game versus the typical player. Well, I wonder if that's a projection too of where folks think the game is going. In other words, we got this era where it's it's long balls and strikeouts and all those things. But eventually games change. You know, the ball changes, the rules change, uh, all, all kinds of variables here that just like a little change in something brings out an entirely different outcome. I, I wonder if this is a – the game comes back around in some ways to what it used to be with, with speed and defense and contact and some things like that. Uh, that could be part of it too, it, perhaps. It certainly might. Yeah, it might. I would, I would hunch that his projections – on draft boards have more to do with his general athleticism than it is any sort of predictor about yeah. where the game of baseball is going. I think that would probably be awfully hard to kind of connect those dots, but if they're yeah. going to minimize how shifts work in baseball, and that's obviously part of the conversation, um, you know, and you're, I don't know, uh, you're, you're limiting the number of times pitchers can change and all whatever you, you could see him, impacting a baseball game on a very large, large scale, uh, just with his athleticism. Um, and he's also a guy that just loves baseball. Holy smokes. Does he love baseball? Um, I'm curious to see where his game goes. You know, there's sometimes the sophomore slumps or I, I, I'm often aware of the, the junior slumps or the draft eligible year slumps. Um, so he's not draft eligible. So we'll, we'll see if he can kind of, uh, sidestep any potential sophomore slumps this year. Yeah, it, it just was a, a thing that when I saw it, it just it, it was fascinating to me, and I, I tend to agree with you. I don't I don't think it's so much projection, um, although again, it, it it did make me wonder because the game doesn't stay the same forever. But um, in any case, I've kept you a while. Uh, any parting thoughts on baseball or promotional things you guys want to do for the school or whatever? Parting parting thoughts on baseball. Um, I think Parker Nolan might be poised for a very big offensive year. Uh, that seems to be kind of in the air. And if you just look at Parker, by the way, he has bulked up. Parker Nolan has bulked up, uh, and he looks like a very strong kid. So I'm curious to see where his offensive game goes. I'm very curious to see what happens at the first base spot. If Dom Keegan settles as a catcher, who's your first baseman? I know Tate Colwick is getting some work at first base. Um, Jonathan Vastine has gotten some work at first base. I mean, Vastine is five foot nine, five foot ten, five foot eleven, and a right-hander. Uh, so he certainly doesn't fit the prototypical first baseman. Uh, so that that spot will be intriguing. I don't know that it's going to be a weak link, uh, but it is a spot on the team that doesn't have a natural fit if if Dom Keegan is a predominant catcher throughout the course of the year. So that's that's one spot that I've sort of kept an eye on during training these past couple of days. Plenty of talent, plenty of defense, plenty of offense, not a lack of athleticism in any way. But as you, you know, do your generic, well, this is what a first baseman looks like thing. I don't know that Vandy has that guy just sitting on its roster. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, promotional elements, uh, look, our, our radio home throughout the course of the season for baseball is the same as it's been. It's WNSR 95.9560. 560. 
Uh, of course, always available on the VU Commodore's Game Day app. Um, I've got the radio call. Kevin's got the SEC Network Plus call. Uh, generally speaking, if it's a home game, it will be available on both TV and radio uh, somehow. Um, that will shift and move a little bit on the television side, but radio will be, as always, consistent throughout the course of the season. Uh, feel free to drop the Anchor podcast um, in your podcast rota- uh, rotation right along with this one here. Um, we've got conversations up there with Nick Maldonado, Enrique Bradfield. Um, I'm not sure. We've got conversations with Tate Colwick and um, Dominic Keegan that we might run uh, here shortly. Um so the athletic department is doing a ton. Um, I just appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on, letting me ramble a little bit, Chris. And uh, I don't know, next time you talk to me, uh, hopefully the Vandy boys would be 4-0 and at that point. I think our podcasters are going to start to get a little longer with baseball here. So, uh, And I look forward to, to that. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm looking forward to this year. I it, It's such a fascinating team for me. There's so much talent out there, but... Um, I, I, I like the way that you said it about, uh, potential to performance. There's, there's as much intrigue from potential to performance with this team as, as just about any, I mean, you know what you're going to get in center field with Bradfield and Cardi Young's really strong at shortstop and uh, I mean, Davis Diaz, Chris looks defensively. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll turn the most double plays in the sec, but if we did, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, you know, Parker Nolan and Tate Holwick and Javi Vaz. There, there, and there's so many Rock City players back on this team. But, but yeah, you're, you're the the intrigue of the pitching staff is 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 very high going into this year. So it'll be fun to to see how the pieces fall into place. Yeah, lots of other topics that could spring off that. Um, I'll save some for another time because you don't want to. You don't want to use all your material in one podcast, but uh, yeah, you, you have um, you've wet my appetite there for some other conversations. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, hey, hey, thanks for coming on, and we will catch up with you very soon. You got it, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.